0: Every single person on the earth right now is in desperate search for something. Many don't even know what it is that they're longing for, that they're looking for. But upon personal reflection, there is something that we all want, that we all need. We try to fill this desire, this longing within our hearts. We try to fill it with many things. And some of those things are good things. We, we fill up our lives with relationships, with friendships, um, perhaps even marriage, family. Those are good things. But yet, it's not what ultimately is going to fulfill that particular longing in our heart. There are obvious other things that we look for to fill those things. And the obvious things are the material things, right? Right? So we, we fill up our lives with material things and we live in a, a day and age that, my goodness, I, you think of the time that we live in as compared to all the people that have lived in the history of the world and think about it, where we live. We have somebody watching from a gadget in, a, in our room, right? And I remember back to, to my teenage years and we were just talking about it. We were on a road trip this week and we were, I remember we were talking about having to take your cassettes with you on the road. Yeah. And here we are streaming any song that we can think of. Play that song, play that song, play that song, whatever it is. I remember you had to have a box with all your tapes, a right. little case, right? It was crazy. But we fill our lives up with the material things, and it's most always the newest and better things that we think that we need and then there is the quest for fulfillment and career and success but even when success is achieved there is still something more that we want something gnawing on the inside of us what is it that we're really looking for what is it that the heart of man really desires what do we really need it's the presence of god amen It's the presence of God. And more specifically, it's the glory of God. The glory of God. What every human being is longing for deep down is really the glory of God. Now, the glory of God in the Old Testament, uh, it's the word kabod, and it actually has the idea of uh, just the, the weightiness, the weighty aspect of the presence of God. And this weightiness, this glory, of God, this weighty aspect of the glory, the presence of God, it covered Adam and Eve in the garden. They were covered with light. And they lost it when they sinned. They lost this aspect that they had, that they were created with, and they noticed it immediately. Immediately upon disobeying God, they recognized it immediately. Why? Because what did they do? They went and they made clothes for themselves. They were suddenly naked. They suddenly realized they were naked. And they were in that now new state of shame that comes about through sin and and disobedience to God. They had sinned. So ever since that moment that they realized that they were naked, ever since that moment, man has missed and longed for the covering of God's glory in their lives, in our lives. But God had a plan. Amen? God had a plan from the beginning to get, to get you His glory back. Amen? Amen? To get you back to the glory of God, to get you back into the presence of God and so that you could approach and experience God. So we're going to look at that a particular aspect of this tonight, we're going to be looking at the veil of the tabernacle. We're looking at, um, right now we're looking at a lot of the elements of the wilderness tabernacle. Tonight we're going to be specifically looking at the veil. And so the first point tonight, if you're, if you're uh, taking notes, is the separator. The veil was the separator. So let's look at it in Exodus chapter 26. And let's pick it up, verse 31. It says this. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And it shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. And you shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, And you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat upon the testimony in the most holy. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. So we're talking about the veil tonight, the veil as separator. The veil is the separator. So in this section of Exodus, God, and and, and in this broader section of Exodus, God is giving the plans, really, the blueprints, the specific plans of the wilderness tabernacle that, again, is going to be his dwelling with his people, Israel. So God is giving very specific instructions, and every piece of this tabernacle was to be made exact, exactly according to the plans. And so God is giving very specific instructions. And here in this section of Scripture that we just read in Exodus 26... God has given the instruction for the making of a veil, the veil for the inside of the tabernacle. We read about what this veil was to be made of. The veil was made of fine linen, woven linen, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns or threads. This was to be made with. And there was to be an artistic design on the front of this veil. And that was to be an artistic design of cherubim, cherubim, and we will get to that a little bit later, but this was the basic design, and then that was to be hung on four pillars of acacia wood that were covered with gold, and the veil was to be hung on these four pillars. So inside the tabernacle, it was a tent. It was a rectangular tent, and inside of it, there was to be a divider that would divide the tent into two rooms, a larger room and a smaller room. The larger room, the first room, was to be the holy place. And in there was to be the table of showbread. We talked about that. We spent a whole week talking about that. On the other side of the table, on the other side of that room, was to be the menorah, the the golden candlestick. We talked about Jesus being the light of the world. Amen? We talked about the table of showbread. We talked about him being the bread of heaven, that we come down and we partake of the literal bread of heaven. Amen? And then I believe it was last time we talked about the last piece in that most holy place or the the holy place was the golden altar of incense. And that was to be set right before the veil, right in front of the veil. So that was the the, the holy place. Then the veil was to be positioned there and then there was another room and that was the Holy of Holies. And inside that room was the Ark of the Covenant. And you saw, as we just read that section, the instruction was given where they were to put the pieces of furniture in the holy place and where they were to put the Ark of the Covenant with the top on it, which was the mercy seat. And Israel, Israel had a priesthood. And they would go into the most holy place and they would do all the things that they had to do in there, making sure the the showbread was there, making sure the oil was in the lamps of the menorah, making sure the incense was placed upon the altar. And then they would see this veil that we're talking about tonight. And if you were a priest, if you were one of Aaron's sons, You could do all that. You could put the showbread down. You could put the oil in the menorah. You could put the incense on the altar. But you couldn't go past that veil. No one could go past the veil into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Except for one person, one day of the year. And that day was called the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest... Would make a sacrifice and that sacrifice would be killed, the blood would be shed, and he would take that blood and he would take that past the most holy, past the veil, and into the most holy, the holy of holies. And he would make atonement. He would, there would be a, a covering. The, the, the day of atonement is a day of covering. Amen. It's actually Yom Kippur, right? Yom meaning day, Kippur actually meaning cover, to cover. So it's the day of covering. Amen? And so that was the day that one person could go into the Holy of Holies. And there was the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And we talked about how God wants to meet us at his throne, which is called a mercy seat. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? You know, people want want to say, well, you know, if you if you want to come to God, you know, you gotta get, you know, you gotta get good. You know, you gotta get cleaned up, you gotta get your act together, you gotta no, 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 no. God wants you to come straight to the mercy seat because that's where you need to be, and to receive the grace and the mercy of God. Now, back to this veil. What was the veil? It was the separator, it was a divider. Look at that in verse. 30, or 26 again. Um, I'm sorry, 30, uh, 33, the last part of it. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And so the veil was to be a divider. It was basically to say, here's a curtain. You can come into this most, this holy place, but you can't come into the holy of holies. You can't come in there. You can't come in there. Well, wait a second. There's a problem with that because, because God made the tabernacle to be his dwelling place within Israel and specifically God would meet with the high priest and Moses at the mercy seat. And so the glory of God was really at the mercy seat. So that was a problem because what we really need in our lives is the presence of God, is the glory of God. But there's this separator. We're separated out. We're out here, and it's in there. But that's what we need. We see, God made a way. God made a way that we could come. Now, first, I want to t- tell you about verse 37. Go back to that. Verse 37. I'm sorry, 31 you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. And this is the part I want you to, to look at again. And it shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Now, what's this about? Now, you will remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, right? They were, they were given the garden. They were placed within the garden. And they were told, look, you can eat of anything, of the garden, but except for the tree that is in the midst of the garden. For in the day that you eat of that, you will surely die. And sure enough, you know the story. Eve ate of the tree, she gave it to Adam, he ate. They both fell into sin. They both realized they were naked, running around, hiding. God came looking for them, right? God came looking for them, had a conversation with them. The curse came down, the curse of sin, It was real. God warned them. There was a curse. There was the curse of sin. And then after all that happened, what happened? They were banished from the garden. They were kicked out of the garden. And what did God specifically do when he kicked them out? He put cherubim with flaming sword guarding the way to the garden so that they could not come back into the garden and they couldn't go to the tree of life. And here you have, artistically woven into this veil, cherubim. Now, people that knew the story know what's going on. You're reading the Bible. Bells are going off. Wait a second. Cherubim in front, separator. We can't go in. This is ringing some bells. We can't go to what we need. We can't get access to what we need. We need the tree of life so that we can live, right? We need the presence of God. That's what we're missing. That's what we've lost. That's what we need. So you see the whole picture that God is laying out. It's actually, when you look at, it, it tells us a lot about who Jesus is, but it tells us, it, it, it sets up the picture for us. It's, it sets up the picture of the problem, uh, of mankind's problem. And, and, and it sets up the picture of God's solution. Amen? Uh, more importantly. So... Uh, so it's a separator. It's a separator uh, in that sense between where, where we are and, and where God is. But then it's also the standard, the standard. Now we're going to talk about the veil as the standard. The writer of Hebrews tells us about the tabernacle and the veil. In chapter 10, verse 19, and I'll have the verse on the screen behind me, And it says this, Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, and look what the writer says, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. What is this? What is the writer telling us? The writer is telling us he's equating the veil to the flesh of Christ. He's saying that he passed through. He's the high priest. If you read the whole book of Hebrews, he he says, in in chapter 3, he says, consider Jesus our high priest. So he's our high priest, and now he's going in to the holiest, the holy place, through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. And so the veil in the wilderness tabernacle... Foreshadow Jesus in the flesh. You see, Jesus always existed, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you had the Word, the Logos of God, in the beginning with God. But then, that's John 1, 1, right? Mm -hmm. But if you skip down to John 1, verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh, right? right? So the veil pictured for us the flesh of Christ, the humanity of Christ, God the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. So the so the veil foreshadows Jesus in the flesh. And how is it, according to this verse, that we are able to enter into the holy of holies, the place where God's glory is, the place where God's presence is, how is it that we're able to do it? We enter in by through the veil which is Jesus. Amen and specifically Jesus incarnate. We enter into the Holy of Holies through the doorway, which is His flesh. We enter into the glory and grace of God through Jesus' flesh. How's that? Jesus is the standard. Jesus is God's standard. So the veil is a separator, but it's also the standard. When, when God took upon flesh, when the Logos took upon flesh... He, he grew up, right, in, in Mary and Joseph's home. And, and the Bible tells us, the Bible teaches us that he was perfect, right? That, that he knew no sin, that there was no deceit, there was no guile. Can you imagine that? I mean, we might be able to get to a point where we, we control ourselves to the level of whatever, but, but he had no guile. He had no deceit in him. There, there, there's no shadow of turning in him. It's amazing. He was perfect. And so he's the standard. He's the standard by which you, can, which you can go to the glory of God, by which you can have the glory of God, by which you can experience the presence of God. Jesus is the standard. He is perfection. He's absolutely holy. He's absolutely righteous. In fact, John, in his epistle, calls him Jesus the righteous. Right, like he's a righteous dude—not like like a cool dude, but he's the righteous. He's Jesus, the righteous. (laughs) Amen. Amen? He's holy. He's absolutely righteous, even in his humanity. Even in his humanity, he did not sin. He was perfect in all of his ways. I mean, man, he's going to have to tell us about that—how he did that, how he made it through his teenage years you know, don't you want to know? Jesus, I mean, you were 16. How'd you do it? You know, I mean, certainly mom, Mary, asked you to take the trash out. And I guess you did it. (laughs) You didn't do what I did. Not do it. No, I did it. But he's perfect. Jesus said, be holy, even as my father in heaven is holy. That's the that's the standard. And the, and, the, and, the, and the picture for us is Jesus is the standard. That's right. So what is this set up? For all of us to ac- have access to the throne of God, to the presence of God, to the glory, to the glory of God, to the, the kibbutz that we need, the veil had to be torn. The, the, the veil had to be torn. The separator had to be torn. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus. His flesh, the veil, was torn. Through, through the scourging, You know, Jesus went to a scourging. Remember, and the scourging that he went through, and this was all foretold by the prophets, right? I mean, most of the time they didn't scourge you and then put you on a cross. If you read the story there in, in the Gospels, Pilate was literally trying to figure a way to just punish him and kind of just let him go. He didn't want to crucify him. So he said, ah, have him scourged, which was a severe punishment. And, 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 and his flesh is literally being torn. It's li- literally being ripped open. His back, they would, they would scourge you with what they called a cat of nine tails that had fragments of stone. And, you know, can you imagine just having your back ripped open by, by these whips with, with stone in them. And, uh, and so you had, you had the veil. You know, Pilate had no idea what, who, he had, who it was that he had standing before him, right? You remember Pilate asked Jesus, you know, what is truth, right? Didn't even know that the truth was standing right next to him, right? <laughs> he didn't know that he had the veil standing right next to him, but the veil had to be torn. This was the plan from the foundation of the world to, to bring us back so that we could come back into the garden because that's what God is doing. He's bringing us back to the garden. The book from Genesis to Revelation, it starts in a garden, it ends in a garden. You, know, you read the last two chapters of Revelation, that's where he's bringing us back to the garden. And that is physically coming back into being, but it's also spiritually happening. Amen? And it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. But the veil had to be torn. The the separator was torn to open the way. The standard was torn in that he took our punishment. He took the penalty. This is what was said in Isaiah, the... The, the, the penalty, the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. The penalty that was due to us was upon him. And so instead of us taking that, he took it. And so the veil was torn. So when Jesus hung on the cross, you have the veil hung on the... It was probably had to have been probably acacia wood that he was hanging on, right? Does it hanging the wood on the four pillars of the acacia. Um, you go out into the desert, any desert. Go out to the California desert, the Israeli desert, wherever you see the acacia wood. It's Acacia tree, it's a common tree. You see it out there, and I would bet that that the cross was made from acacia wood. I, I will, I will probably put money on that. If that's, if that's, if you can do that. For a while. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. But as Jesus, the veil was hanging on the tree, as Jesus was hanging on the tree. And it came right down to the end. And remember, Jesus gave up his spirit. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he he died. He he laid his life down. Remember, we talked about that when we were talking about the the bronze altar, right? Mm -hmm. What held him on the cross? What held him in custody when he was was arrested? What held him in custody? What held him on the cross? It, It wasn't those soldiers. It wasn't the chains. It wasn't the nails. It was his love. The Bible says he could have called all those legions of angels. I think, remember we did the math, it was like 72,000 angels. And so there he is, he's hanging on the cross. He gives up his spirit. And this is what happened. And Matthew records it for us. Matthew 27, verse 51 I'll have it on the screen behind me. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. This is what happened when Jesus gave up his spirit. You see, here he was hanging on a tree outside the city, but just inside the city in the temple You had the holy place, and you had the holy of holies. Mm -hmm. And you had the curtain, you had the veil there. And the veil, it says here in verse 51 of Matthew 27, it says, was torn in two from top to bottom. So, you know, you didn't have these, and, and, and this was a big veil in the temple. It was much larger much thicker than the veil that was in the tabernacle. At Jesus' time, the wilderness tabernacle was the permanent structure in Jerusalem called the temple. The temple veil was bigger than the one in the tabernacle. It was said to have been 30 feet wide, 60 feet tall, and up to 10 inches thick. This was a big veil. It took up to 300 priests to put it into place. And that was the veil that was torn from top to bottom when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross. What happened? The veil was torn. The price was paid. The veil was torn. And can you imagine the priesthood? Here's the Holy of Holies. No one can go in there. Suddenly the veil's torn. Just the Holy of Holies, just wide open. Just the, 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 just the pathway wide open. There it is. There's the Ark of the Covenant just sitting there. What does this mean? The veil's gone. What does this mean? Can we just go in? Yeah, through, through Christ. Through Christ. The veil was torn and the way opened up for you and me to go boldly into the Holy of Holies whenever we want to. Amen? Amen. We, can, we can experience the presence of God. We can have that which our heart longs for deep down, what every single person longs for, which is the glory of God, yes. which is the presence of God in our lives. And this happened. This, this was made possible when Jesus, when, when his, through his sacrificial death, It opened up the way. Jesus said in his ministry, when he was talking about good shepherds and thieves, at one point he said this in John 10, verse 9. He said, I am the door. I am the door. So he's the veil, the veil of his flesh. He says, I am the door. Later in John, in John chapter 14, verse 6, you should know that one. Jesus said, I am the door. The way, right? Yo soy el paseo? Camino. A Camino, el Camino. Yeah, he's the Camino, like the Chevy, right? No, <laughs> he's the way. I am the, I am the way. He, he opened up the way. He, he's the door. And we come through Christ. We come through the, the sacrifice of Christ, which, which he made in the veil of his flesh. And and we can now have a relationship with the holy God of of the universe which man was separated from. We can know him. We realize that he loves us so much that he gave up so much that he paid a steep price. Now, the presence of God in Israel was the glory was there at the ark, right? The ark of the covenant. Now what if you had to find the ark to find the glory of God? What if you had to find the ark of the covenant to find the presence of God? What if that's what you had to do? You had to become just like, you know, Indiana Jones, right? Right? In the movie, right? In the beginning of the movie, you know the movie? when they open up the book and you say, look, you have the Israelites. Remember that when they're sitting there in the the university? They open up the book and, oh, the Israelites believed it was the glory of God, the power of God, the presence of God with the people. Whoever has that ark would have something powerful, right? So they went out to find it. In the movie, Jones, he finds it in Egypt and then the Nazis take it back and then he takes it back from the Nazis and then it ends up in a warehouse somewhere in Washington D.C. I know it's all a story but what if you had to find it? What if you had to find it to find the presence of God to find the glory of God that you so desperately need? Well let me tell you the ark is not lost. Amen? I know the movie is the Raiders of the lost ark, right? But the ark is not lost. The ark is not lost. The ark is found. We don't need the wilderness ark because the ark was fulfilled in the resurrection. I don't have time to go into this. But the Ark of the Covenant was fulfilled in the resurrection. Look it up in John chapter 20, verse 12. Look at what Mary Magdalene sees when she looks into the tomb on the morning that Jesus rose from the dead and she sees the positioning of the angels. And it was on the slab. And I actually did a painting of this. And I'll have to bring it for, some, for those of you who have never seen this. But I did a painting back, believe it or not, in 2012. I had a friend of mine in our church in Orlando who works for E.A., Games. He is the artist who, who does all the artwork for Madden, MMA, and a bunch of other stuff. Okay? He, he did all the coaches in Madden, all of them. We got together, we collaborated on this thing. We, I called it the mercy seat. It's what Mary saw when she looked into the tomb two angels, the two cherubim that were there. That was the exact replica of the mercy seat. All the way back in Exodus, right? And so the Ark of the Covenant has been fulfilled in the resurrection. When Mary looked in and saw that, she turned around and she saw a man. She thought he was the gardener. Right? But who was it? Jesus. It was Jesus. She was the first person. She was the first eyewitness of the resurrection. Mary. Mary. A woman. First eyewitness of the resurrection, amen? So there, whenever, whenever you see, and I'll close with this, close with this. Whenever you see cherubim, you want to know about this whole thing, you read the Bible, you're trying to do your devotions and stuff, And cherubim, because they come up all the time, all the way through the Bible. What is this? A cherub is not a cute little Victorian baby with wings on it okay little picture that you buy at hallmark store okay oh look at the cute little cherub look at the cute little baby cherub no 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 no. let me tell you about what a cherub actually is a cherub in the bible is an awesome awesome spiritual being in revelation they're called the living creatures The four living creatures that you see, the four cherubs, and what do they do? What do cherubs do? They guard the throne of God. They guard the seat of God. So you've heard of the guardians of the galaxy? These are the guardians of the throne. Okay? Before there were the guardians of the galaxy and all that, there were the guardians of the throne of God. Amen? You see them in Ezekiel 1 and 10. You see them in Genesis 3. You see them in Revelation. You see these cherubim. You see them woven into the, in, artistically woven into the Baal? They're guardians of the throne. I want to take you and know, I want to read just a couple more pieces of Scripture in Revelation. I want to take you all the way to the end of the book. Okay? Revelation chapter 22 Verses 1 through 3, and this is, this this is going to amaze you, what, I'm, what you're going to see here. And I know you've, you've read the last chapter. How many have read the last chapter of the Bible? Amen? How many have not read the last chapter? Don't raise your hand. Okay, so right now we're going to look at three chapters. Yeah, you, you, you can skip ahead to see how it all ends, right? You know? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, okay? <clears throat> this is what it says. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river. This is John speaking. John is in heaven. He showed me a pure river of water of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. So here John is seeing a river that's proceeding from the throne of God. It's crystal clear. It's a crystal river. We talked about the crystal sea. Evidently there's a crystal river too. So some of you people that like, you know, mountains and little rivers and stuff, you can go fishing. That's for you. I want the oceanfront condo on the crystal sea in heaven. Amen? Amen. Verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, And his servants shall serve him. What's that? The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. In other words, there's this connection with the throne in heaven of the tree of life and the throne. Remember, the cherubim were placed in the garden at the the gateway of the garden to guard what? Well, wait a second. Cherubim are throne guardians, they're guardians of the throne. So, but they were placed, they were the ones that said, no, you shall not pass. <laughs> right? That's a that's a Monty Python reference. Some of you won't get that. <laughs> None shall pass. Right? But here we have the fulfillment of all. We have the, the end of the, the this final state of all being where we're in heaven and here's the throne and here's the crystal river and here's the tree. The tree of life and the throne and the tree. The throne's in the tree. The tree's in the throne. So here you have a picture of, of heaven. The throne of God with the tree of life. And this is what God has brought you back to in Christ. Amen? Yes. You've been given direct access Back to the tree and back to the throne. Yes, yes, yes. Amen? Amen? Back to the tree and back to the throne. And we partake of the tree, and Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will give you the right to sit on my throne with me. Amen? Yes, yes. Amen? And so mm-hmm. I want you to look at verse 3 one more time. It says, And there shall be no more curse. There shall be no more curse. He's taking care of it. He became a curse when he hung on the tree. He took care of the curse. Paul says in Galatians, and it says in the book of Deuteronomy, he who, hung on, who, he who hangs on a tree is accursed. He became a curse for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. And so... Now we can, as the writer of Hebrews says, this is what we can do. This is what he says. Let us, therefore, boldly approach the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? Amen. We can boldly approach the throne because of what he did in the work in his flesh. The veil is separator. The veil is standard. Now he acts as the mediator. He brings us back to the throne and to the tree.